from the Credit Union National Association. This is the CUNA News Podcast. Credit Union people. Credit Union ideas. A bill introduced in Congress that would allow merchants to bypass established secure payment networks and instead route payments through an unaffiliated network has drawn concerns from those in the credit union industry. I'm Jennifer Plager, Managing Editor with CUNA News. I recently spoke with Richard Ghost, CUNA's Chief Political Officer, and Madison Rose, CUNA's Director of Advocacy and Counsel. They spoke about the details of the new bill involving interchange and how it's different than previous bills, the impact the bill would have on credit unions, CUNA's response to the bill, and more. So Richard, can you give us a little bit of background on what interchange is and and why this is an issue that we're talking about and paying attention to right now? Sure. Interchange is uh, when, you know, cards are processed. Interchange is that uh, those dollars are returned back to the sponsoring institution. Uh, it's debited up in a number of different ways, and Madison can get into the, more of the details of that. For credit unions in particular, it, this is what they count on to cover fraud costs. It's what they have. Uh, it's just the processing and the whole ease of use of the cards. And we have to go back and remember that credit cards are a loan. And so credit unions are making a loan and they care about it because one, they want to have this uh, available to their members. It's the most easy form of credit most people can get. And uh, but with that comes the cost of doing business. And unfortunately, when there's fraudulent activity and things happen, they have to have the cost of replacing those cards and interchange goes a long way uh, to covering those costs. So, Madison, what's what's included in this new bill that's out there right now? So, this bill is a little different than what we saw with the German Amendment back in 2010. This bill deals with routing of credit card transactions. It re- it's an amendment to the Electronic Funds Transfer Act um, that would require the, the Fed to issue regulations uh, requiring at least two unaffiliated card networks um, for an electronic card transaction. And those two networks, um, in addition to being unaffiliated, they cannot be the, t- the two networks with the two largest market shares um, in volume of transactions. Uh, in the in the country. So we're looking at Visa and MasterCard um, couldn't be the top two. It would have to be one of those and another or two unaffiliated networks. Okay. And Richard, Madison briefly mentioned that, it, that it's a little bit different than than previous bills. How How is this different than what we've seen in the past? Well, there's not a cap like you saw on debit. And so that, that part's not in there. But again, I, I think the big part of this is when you look back at the debit cards, debit cards were established originally on a number of networks. So the idea of having more than one network was kind of established in the debit card uh, process early on. That's not true with Visa, MasterCard and other credit cards. You know, that card in itself is a product with a system that has been put in place contractually throughout time. And so you're entering a whole new rail into that system that uh, wasn't there or even contemplated to be there uh, upon the uh, design and inception of the product. And Jennifer, I think it's important, one thing I should have mentioned, um, the bill 
would apply to covered card issuers. So issuers that, uh, that have assets of more than a hundred billion. So I think that's an important thing to, to look at with this bill. The Durban Amendment also had parts of it that exempted credit unions. Uh, in this bill, the hundred million cap, there's only one credit union that's above that, but there are many indirect consequences of this bill that are going to have severe effects on credit unions. So that kind of leads into my next question of, you know, what does this mean for credit unions and, and why should they care? Well, credit unions should care because obviously the replacement of cards since chip and pin technology, which is going back to 2010, you had the magnetic strip. So now we're in chip and pin. So cards have become more uh, costly to replace, one. Two, there continues to be a high amount of fraud, and most of that fraud happening uh, you know, at the level of purchase. So that's uh, that's a reason to be concerned because you've got to cover those costs. We do know that currently, uh, according to our, our research with our own credit unions, about 5% of our credit unions are running a deficit with the card programs they currently have. If they lose significant revenues, that number, if you lose half the revenues, that uh, number is going to go up to about 12%, according to our survey. So uh, that is, you know, that's significant. And the other thing that these card programs do is provide the ability for credit units to extend credit to folks that are either trying to rebuild credit, people have never established credit. It's the easiest way to do that. Because that's, and again, that's where a lot of the liability is. In credit. So uh, if, if these uh, re- revenue streams are diminished, uh, then those ability, the ability for credit use to provide that credit to that particular group of members is going to be limited. Richard, are there any other impacts that, that credit unions would face if, if this bill goes forward? Well, I mean, I think, uh, you know, Madison mentioned that they had the $100 uh, billion dollar limit. Uh, you know, they had a $10 billion limit in debit. That didn't work, uh, and I think the, the Fed studies and uh, Madison can, uh, you know, maybe opine a little more on this. But those uh, that that really didn't work, and you know, there's no reason to believe that the hundred billion dollar will work either. So uh, I think the complication and the the data security, because I mean, remember, merchants are going to be choosing the rail on which their interchange goes on. Are they going to pick the most secure or the least costly to them? they're going to pick the least costly to them most likely. Uh, and the larger big box retailers is where they're going to have the most negotiating power. And the small ones are going to have, small businesses are going to have less negotiating power. So, you know, the options that will be available to them might not be as secure as the current system is in place. Madison, do you have anything to add to that or... I, w- I would add, I think it's important to look at what the interchange fee is. And, and Richard talked about this some, but it's one part of the larger merchant discount fee, which is what the merchants and retailers pay to support the card system that they they receive great benefits from. Um, and, and the interchange rate is the portion that goes back to the issuing institution. Um, and any changes to the network as a whole, whether it's routing requirements or um, price caps, like we saw with the Durban Amendment, they're going to have cascading effects throughout the system. Um, so when we look at these, is and and the hundred billion threshold um, isn't going to have that much of an impact. We saw exempt institutions after the Durban Amendment; um, they were affected. We saw a thirty percent decrease in interchange revenue um, from credit unions and community banks who were supposedly exempt from this. Um, and, and we don't have no doubt that we'll see similar repercussions as a result of this. 
Um, I mean, these proposed restrictions, they have the same practical effect of distorting the market and transferring the wealth from community financial institutions to consumers and consumers to a handful of high volume merchants. Um, and they're wiping out the already thin margins that uh, financial institutions are operating the card programs on. The cost of these programs isn't going to decrease. It's only going to increase. And if we're reducing the revenue that small community financial institutions have to support these programs, uh, it's going to result in either these programs going away or they're going to have to shift vital resources from things like free checking and supporting their members to support the card program that, as Richard said, provides incredible benefits to their members that they can't receive anywhere else. Um, and so it really puts credit unions between a rock and a hard place. And you both have talked a little bit about, you know, some of those the impacts that the credit union will directly feel and and what may be passed on kind of to the members are any other impact on the actual member are they going to notice any difference if this would go forward i think the 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 members are going to see or at least a certain segment of the membership is going to see a a a more difficult time in getting credit uh and i think that's that's really the loss because you know credit unions really have focused on credit builder programs, uh, getting young people off the right start, taking people who uh, have less than perfect credit and trying to help them establish and uh, have a better credit score. And this, I mean, credit cards are at the center of that. And when you take that away or you limit it, you, you hurt a lot of people. So then what's CUNA's response to this bill? Well, our response is to say, you know, we have a system in place that's working. Uh, why are we looking at trying to change something that's benefiting millions of Americans uh, and, and giving them uh, easy access to credit? And, you know, as for, from a credit union standpoint, you know, our, our credit card interest rates are typically lower and uh, more accessible. And uh, it just is, uh, it just makes no sense to, uh, to disrupt something that's working. You're, you're really, you have a solution uh, in search of a problem that really doesn't exist. What's CUNA's focus right now and what are, what are they doing to, to try to get their, their views uh, across to lawmakers? First and foremost, letting our members know uh, that this is out there. And then uh, a lot of our credit unions have even gone to their members and, you know, talked about the security risks, the different things that come into play with, you know, multiple routing systems that could be in place. Um, the other thing is, uh, you know, we're also working to make sure that lawmakers know what credit unions are doing to help people in their communities and how that the credit card programs that credit unions have in place are helping build that credit we talked about so much. And so, you know, it really, you know, just, just doesn't make sense. And that's kind of, that's kind of ultimately where you come down to it once you, once you look at it thoroughly. So what should credit unions do in, in the meantime? Well, credit unions should certainly notify their members that this is out there and, uh, you know, ask their members to tell their members of Congress to not mess up the credit system that's been working so well for so long. And let's, uh, you know, let's keep things, uh, as we might say, on the rails. And then what's the timeline? Where, where does the bill stand right now? And, and where does it go next? And what, what, what do we need to be looking, paying attention to? 
Right now, we've seen introduction in the Senate. Um, there was a hearing unrelated to the bill earlier this year in the Judiciary Committee um, led by Senator Durbin. Um, we've yet to see a, a hearing on this bill. I think we're watching the, the major packages that come up throughout the year, staying vigilant, continuing, as Richard said, continuing to educate lawmakers and watch for its inclusion in, in other packages and continue to um, focus on that education and ensuring lawmakers know this isn't something that should be included moving forward. And then am I forgetting to ask you guys anything or anything that we haven't talked about that you think is important to bring up related to the interchange bill? The only other thing that there is a uh, companion bill that they're trying to get a co-sponsor in the House. They have the Democratic sponsor uh, ready to tee it up. And uh, they're very close, I think from what I'm hearing, to find it in Republicans. So there, uh, there's likely to be a companion bill in short order in the House. So that will um, that will raise the stakes a little bit. But, I mean, I think that really the time period that we have is between now and the elections to uh, see anything mature on this. But uh, there's always the threat of lame duck and this bill getting added uh, to a must-pass bill somewhere down the road. Uh, but, I mean, I think clearly there's Senate banking jurisdiction, and they would – I can't see them getting this through without having at least a hearing on it. So looking at the bill, who are the winners and who are the losers? Well, the winners are going to be those high-volume retailers that have the most negotiating power. Uh, you know, you save a half a percent off interchange, uh, that amounts to quite a quite a large sum of money. Uh, the losers are going to be those people uh, who are trying to seek credit and those people that uh, are in need of building credit. So those are going to be the winners, as well as the financial institutions that are trying to provide that credit, uh, when particularly with some of the losses they see through fraudulent activity. I would say the the winners are you were right on. It's the it's the big box retailers who are going to uh, receive the benefits of lower interchange fees and merchant discount fees, and the the losers are going to be small businesses, consumers, and community financial institutions. Uh, we saw from the Durban Amendment that there was very little savings. In fact, some small businesses their costs actually increased as a result. The Richmond Fed determined that over twenty percent of retailers increased their price their prices following the enactment of the Durban Amendment, and only one percent of retailers passed their savings on to consumers. And we've seen prices actually rise for consumers. A a GAO study ranked the Durban Amendment as one of the top five uh, laws and regulations most cited as having significantly affected the cost and availability of basic banking services. And studies estimate that as a result of the Durban Amendment, there was a transfer of one to three billion dollars annually from low-income households to large retailers and the shareholders who are the primary beneficiaries of this bill. Thanks for listening to the CUNA News Podcast. Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher Radio.